Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 9:30. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we are set to continue our exploration into the Book of Exodus. I think this is what episode number 25, our second to last episode. We are wrapping up not only the Book of Exodus, my friends, but as I have already announced, all that we have been doing here with regards to Seeds of Truth and Seeds of Truth Radio. Next Friday, March 27th, will be my last program, one last final musing for you as I look to move on to the state of Ohio. Um, So I am moving from the city of Chico, California, here in Northern California, on to other things in the state of Ohio. And at this point, it does not look like I will be doing radio. If I do, be rest assured, I will let you know. Just Google my name and hopefully... Something pops up if I do start reprogramming out there. But for now, with respect to Seeds of Truth Radio and my apostolate, Seeds of Truth Ministries, it is all coming to a close. Uh, God is calling me on to other things. And right now, those things have yet to be determined. (laughs) I'm still discerning a number of different options. And hopefully, I might have something for you on that before I leave next Friday, although I, I can't promise that. Anyhow, for you, the faithful listener, Today, March 19th, no doubt, uh, is a great day because it's the Feast of St. Joseph, but also a day within the the context of a larger set of days where we are being made to reflect more critically upon who we are in our relationship with God, right? Hopefully, we have been re-examining ourselves in lieu of the coronavirus, uh, in lieu of the going-ons across just not our local communities, but also the world. And do be assured, my faithful listener, that uh, I am praying for you. I offer you up, and by you I mean the faithful listener, each and every day, each and every evening, that God might be moving you to do greater things, because there's always something more to do that's greater, right? In light of the what we do in the greatest who is Jesus Christ. So uh, with that, what I would like to suggest to you is taking time out of, out of your busy schedule. Uh, taking time out of these days that have become very different for you, for me, for all of us, that we are spending more time with God and, and hopefully more time with sacred scripture. Now, as noted last week, um, chapters 25 to 31 and, and 36 to 40 mirror each other, right? In, in some cases, verbatim. And remember, chapters 35 to 40 are those last six chapters in the book of Exodus. Essentially, Chapters 35 to 40 describe the building of the wilderness tabernacle according to the blueprint of chapters 25 to 31, all of which, of course, was based upon the vision of Moses. As most commentaries highlight, compositionally speaking, the repetition of the sanctuary laws has the effect of framing the the golden calf episode that we read about in chapters 32 to 34 within the larger significance of the wilderness tabernacle. So next week and our last week together, we will speak to the importance of the golden calf 
in the history of Israel and what it teaches us about our faith today, huh? For now, I want us to engage in more detail uh, the wilderness tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. This will also, by the way, my friends, allow us to take some time to reflect into uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary as well. All right, that being said, last week we were talking about the wilderness tabernacle, which was this large covered tent, right, that stood within the sanctuary court. So this open courtyard surrounded the covered tent. Uh, This expanse of sacred space was fenced off by linen sheets. And here I'm moving my hands left and right and up and down like you can see me. Anyhow, access to this outer area was permitted to all worshipers of Israel, priests and laymen alike. And that's always important to note. Um, With that, if I were to paint a more specific picture for you, uh, taking a bird's eye view of the court, if you will, moving from east to west, what you had was the entrance into the tent in which you would first see the altar of sacrifice right in front of you. As you moved past the altar of sacrifice, you would come up to what the book of Exodus describes as the bronze laver. What was that but that large metallic basin standing just in the outer court? Uh, Its bowl and base was made of bronze mirrors. And of course, this is where the priest washed in its waters for ritual purification, okay? So here, just trying to paint a picture for you of the wilderness tabernacle. You would then come to the holy place, and as you entered the holy place, you had the lamp stand to your left and the table for bread of presence to your right. And oh, by the way, yeah, that's pretty significant as that anticipates the new covenant bread of presence that is Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So the lampstand is to your left, and the table for bread of presence is to your right. You would then arrive more or less in front of you at the altar of incense. And just past the altar of incense hung down a veil, which was a curtain dividing the covered tent into now two separate rooms. So it hung down between the innermost chamber for the most holy place and the outer room, which designated the antechamber, uh, the holy place. If you were to go into the book of Exodus, chapter 26, verses 31 to 33, we can get a sense of this, right? Uh, Verse 31 reads, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet stuff and fine twined linen. In skilled work shall it be made with cherubim. And you shall hang it upon four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold with hooks of gold upon four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in thither within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. Okay, so what's going on there? Well, as you entered into the most holy place or the holy of holies, as it is otherwise known, you passed through this inner veil upon which you would behold the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. And only there was the, the high priest allowed in. Only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies and into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Now Exodus chapter 29 lays out the significance of the priesthood. I'm talking about the priesthood here. We should note 
the significance of the priesthood, because all of chapter 29 is devoted to the ordination of priests. Priests, of course, in line of Levi, as Aaron himself was from the tribe of Levi. So if you take a look now at Exodus 29, what you see is that this is a rite that takes place with Moses as its chief celebrant. And as head celebrant, he performs what is known as the induction ceremony. Now, during this time, as we read in the, in the book of Exodus, Aaron and his four sons will be washed with water, clothed with priestly vestments, anointed with oil, and sanctified by a series of animal offerings. Now, I suppose the question comes about, you know, why do all this? Well, in principle, my friends, These actions separate them from the world of the profane and into the realm of service, holy service, holy service devoted to God. By the way, the word profane, I talk about the world of profane, the word profane comes from the Latin profanum. It literally translates as outside the temple. Isn't that interesting? We say such phrases as stop using profanity. What do we intend to mean when we say that? Huh? Stop using language that isn't sacred. That's what we intend to mean when we use that kind of verbiage. So, uh, back to this reflection with the priesthood and what these actions represent. In essence, my friends, (laughs) what we are made to see is that the priesthood is set apart. The priesthood is held to a higher standard. You've heard me talk about this a little bit before. You know, the, the priest, when he is wearing his clerics, is kind of like the town clock. Everyone's just looking at him. Our local priest recently came into a coffee shop that I was at, and he was wearing his clerics, and everyone was staring at him, but they were staring at him because he, he had this <laughs> little <laughs> husky puppy that was beautiful, but I thought it was great. I, I mentioned that because... Oh, how great was it to see a priest and his clerics in this coffee shop with all these people around him petting this this husky. I just thought it was great. But uh, husky or not, everyone is, is looking at the priest. Why? Because intuitively, we know. We know that the priest is held to a higher standard. This is why we need to be praying for our priests, right? So the priesthood is no doubt something to reflect upon as the whole of of chapter 29 uh, hits the pause button to uh, carefully highlight the significance of the ordination rites. All right, what about the Ark of the Covenant? What Indiana Jones so famously popularized, right? Well, what you have here is a portable wood chest overlaid with gold, huh? With the mercy seat on top, it served as a place of storage for, for what? What does Hebrews tell us but the Ten Commandments? Also, there was a jar of manna in the ark, as well as Aaron's rod. Essentially, what we are made to see is that the ark of the covenant carried within it the presence of God. In point of fact, Israel believed that its golden lid was the footstool of Yahweh, and the winged cherubims at the ends of the mercy seat as the chariot and throne of Yahweh himself. So, truly, the ark is that which contained the presence of God. Hence, once you pass through the veil, You were in the room that was known as the most holy place, the holy of holies, the holiest, holiest, right? If there's such a thing. And my friends, 
as we are talking about the book of Exodus and, and the building of the wilderness tabernacle, I wanted to take this opportunity to speak once again to just not the Ark of the Old Covenant, but the Ark of the New Covenant, Mary. Mary, if you were with me in our study on the book of Revelation, we engage this point. But here, as we bring that study into our study on the book of Exodus, we do so with the Ark of the Old Covenant with its backdrop. And maybe I should first offer up a word about interpreting the Old Testament in light of the New Testament and the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. In biblical interpretation, we have this principle that is called typology, which is the study of how the Old Testament foreshadows or anticipates the New Testament, how things and persons in the Old Testament more specifically foreshadow or anticipate things and or persons in the New Testament. For example, the waters of the flood were a type of baptism. Huh? Isaac, in carrying wood up the mountain to be slaughtered as a sacrifice, was a type of Christ who also carried wood up a mountain as the new Lamb of God. Hmm? So you can just begin to see that, yeah, there's an intelligible coordination, a seamlessness between the old and new. The word type comes from the Greek typus, which simply means pattern. Huh? Pattern. What does history mean? History comes from the Latin historia, which best translates as to weave a pattern. So by reading sacred scripture, by reading sacred scripture carefully, the old in light of the new and the new in light of the whole, what we can begin to grasp, my friends, is how God desires to work in salvation historia, salvation history. How persons, places, and things anticipate the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of the law of God. And just not fulfillment, but transformation. A transformation that, oh, by the way, we are called to share in. Because what does Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 say? We work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And so we can get a deeper understanding of how God has worked in salvation history by better understanding divine revelation, better understanding sacred scripture itself. And so this is what we've been doing, huh? And for all of that, there are also types in the Old Testament that anticipate just not Jesus and the church he came to establish, but Mary. Undoubtedly, the ark found in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, is such a type. For if the ark is that which holds the presence of God, how all the more is Mary the ark of the new covenant? Just as the Shekinah cloud or glory cloud came down into the wilderness tabernacle and, and God made his presence known to his people, so does a glory cloud overshadow Mary and fill this new ark with his presence. Incidentally, the language of St. Luke's narration seems to echo that of Moses in the book of Exodus, which is to say, this is just not some metaphorical reflection. In Exodus chapter 40, verse 32, we read, the cloud covered the tabernacle of the testimony, and the glory of the Lord filled it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we read, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. And therefore, also the Holy Spirit, which shall be 
born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Many scholars have pointed out that the Greek word for overshadow used by St. Luke here is also used in the book of Exodus chapter 40 and the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek Old Testament most often cited by our Lord and the Apostles. As the glory cloud covered and filled the tabernacle over the ark, so the Holy Ghost, so the Holy Spirit came upon and overshadowed Mary, the new ark. Beautiful. Now, immediately after St. Luke's account of the Annunciation, Luke, this Marian evangelist, tells us of Mary's visit to Elizabeth. This instance in Our Lady's life has, I dare say, my friends, stunning parallels with King David, transporting the Ark of the Old Covenant to Jerusalem, as it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, the story begins with David doing what? The story begins as David arose and went. Luke's account of the visitation begins with the same words. Mary arose and went. In their journeys, both Mary and David proceeded to the hill country of Judah. David acknowledges his unworthiness with the words, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? 2 Samuel 6, 9. Words we find echoed as Mary approaches her kinswoman Elizabeth. What does she say? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should should come to me. Note here that the sentence is almost verbatim, except that ark is replaced by mother. The ark was three months in the house of Obedidim, the same duration that Mary was in the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Like Zechariah, Obedidim was a priest. While in the Gethite's house, right, Obedidim, who was a Gethite, while in the Gethite's house, the ark was a source of tremendous blessing. We read in 2 Samuel 6, verses 11 to 12, And the ark of the Lord abode in the house of Obedidim the Gethite three months. And the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. And it was told King David that the Lord had blessed Obedidim and all that he had because of the ark of God. Because of the ark of God. Indeed, Mary's presence Bless the house of Elizabeth, for she herself was the ark of the new covenant. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16, we see David leaping and dancing around the ark of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, we read, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. All of this is to say what? Well, Evidently, Luke wants us to see Mary as an ark of God, the ark of the new covenant. Remember, Luke authors the Acts of the Apostles. What takes place in the opening chapters in the Acts of the Apostles? Pentecost. There is Mary in the middle of the Apostles, bringing down the presence of God in the upper room as she is in the middle of the Apostles. What's more, go to the book of Revelation. I was talking earlier about my study on the book of Revelation. Why did this come up in that study? Well, go to the end of chapter 11. There we read in verse 19, 
Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So, did John, who's describing this vision, see the Ten Commandments? Did John see the manna? Did John see Aaron's rod shooting forth from this ark? It's a funny thing when we interpret sacred scripture, how we stop at the end of a chapter. This is the last verse to chapter 11. What's the first verse to chapter 12? I bring this up because I think we miss something widely important here, which is to say what (laughs) the Ark of the Covenant is. Just not of the old dispensation, of the Old Testament, but of the new dispensation of, of the new covenant, of the New Testament. What do we read in verse 1, chapter 12? And a great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, my friends, for the church fathers, the woman was not only symbolic of the church herself, but the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is the archetype of the church. For those who are listening to this episode live, we are in Lent. And not only Lent, but in the midst of this coronavirus. For many of us, we feel like we are in a different kind of wilderness. Let us call upon Mary, the Ark of the New Covenant, that she would go before God and mediate the presence of God like she did over 2,000 years ago. Mediating the presence of the Holy Spirit the presence of Jesus himself. You know, I was thinking today, Mary was crowned with 12 stars. Corona, as many of us know, is, is the Latin and also Italian, by the way, for what but crown. Might we turn to her who wears a different kind of crown, a queen's crown, to destroy this virus that is bringing a scourge upon the earth? Might we pray to her who wears her crown to bring souls closer to Jesus during this time when so many feel weighed down by this, this crown virus? May her purity extinguish the virus. May her crown do away with that other crown. And as it does, may her mediation Bring us peace as she brings us to the feet of Jesus. What does she say at the wedding feast of Cana? Do whatever he tells you. Her last words recorded in sacred scripture, do whatever he tells you. And so it is, we study sacred scripture. We study the book of Exodus that we might get a deeper understanding of what this doing is all about. That our doing is only good as our being in God. Amen? Amen. All right. Next week, we are going to wrap up our study on the book of Exodus with a reflection and teaching on the golden calf. I said it in the opening. The golden calf episode makes up three chapters, chapters 32, 33, and 34. (laughs) It is framed around the building of the wilderness tabernacle. Now, 
There's a reason for that. Moses is very intentional. And so we're going to talk about that. There's a lot to talk about next week. But today, this evening, I I wanted to underscore the value of the wilderness tabernacle and just not how God filled that place in the Shekinah cloud, but also how he does so in the new covenant. How just as Mary is a new ark, we too might be called arks of God when we receive Jesus in the Eucharist and we abide in the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thought. What an important thought. Certainly one that doesn't come from me, but the church fathers. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to just be able to spend time with you. Hopefully, Lord, we are appreciating the importance of just spending time with you. And we can not only do this in the Blessed Sacrament, but also in how we pray with sacred scripture, the rosary, or in just simply having conversation with you. How important is that, that we are having that simple conversation with you, talking to you personally about our our fears, our concerns, and as we do, maybe opening ourselves up to you, that the void that might be there is there for you to now fill up. So, Heavenly Father, with all those praying with me now, I call upon you to be with us, all of us, and as you are, that we might be open specifically to the things and the tasks that you are calling us to. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.